Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to episode 377 of the JV Club with my wonderful guest, Travel Anderson. This is a Max Fun podcast crossover alert. I don't know why I did that weird robot voice. No one needed it. I didn't want it. I just can't apologize enough. And you like to, I, I, I love to get a good apology in, you know, in every one of my intros. So there's that one. Uh, please enjoy this episode. Travel is fantastic. So, so, so intelligent and inspiring and awesome and funny and great. I just enjoy this episode so much. I hope everyone is doing well, taking care of yourselves. You can enjoy uh, Travel and Jarrett Hill's podcast, Fanti, also on the Maximum Fun Network. And I... I almost said I'll bid you adieu, but that's extremely formal and suggests I may never speak to you again. (laughs) We all know that's not the case. Enjoy the episode. One of the things I love about GarageBand is it truly is as I look at mine on my side and you look at yours, a giant red button. (laughs) that It's like really hard to mess up. (laughs) You're like, yes, this is recording. You don't have to worry otherwise. Exactly. This feels familiar to me. This feels like it's the right move. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh, my friend, my new friend. Here we are in month eight of (laughs) (laughs) heavens how have you been how are you doing how is the month of june the longest strangest most inspiring yet also scariest month (laughs) yeah of of 2020 so far how's it going it's going okay i i can't complain i mean i can complain but no one really cares um so (laughs) i'm gonna say it's going all right you know i've been i've been heartened by a lot of the demonstrations that we see out in the streets um both for kind of black lives and particular black trans lives um i've been happy about seeing you know, so many allies being in the streets as well, part of these conversations yeah. and holding themselves and their communities accountable. So, like, I think we're at a really historic moment. And I just hope that, like, folks keep this same energy in a couple months. Yeah. Yeah, that's the question is, like, how, it's always um, I'm I'm heartened, too. And I think I've been heartened by seeing like ongoing conversations within organizations that have made their their everyday of every year lives about making real change, mm-hmm. real sustained change, um, kind of pivoting a little bit to, okay, let's get the voters out. Let's talk about who to vote for. Let's right. talk about local local elections and, you know, really recognizing that like, because I think that's that's sort of like, you know, I mean, this has probably been talked to death, but the all of the things that kind of came together for this month to kind of take the shape that it has, mm-hmm. uh, I think include, you know, it, people take to the streets when they feel like they've been given no other choice. And part of that, I think, is this very intense distrust of lawmakers and of the voting process, right, which is, you know, like part of that has been intentional, I think, by parties who want to sow those seeds of like, it doesn't matter what you do. Mm-hmm. We will we will make sure we get the outcome we want anyway. Like that sort of feeling of uh, of of, oh, I can't rely on this system. And 
and you know the system failing to a certain degree especially in certain areas like you know the criminal justice system but I think you know it's it, like it's also that's what we got yeah you know in terms of like we, we can't solve everything by protest and so I'm, I'm heartened that you know organizations that have been at the forefront of making the protests happen and keeping that momentum are also the ones who are like now let's get on the phones let's go out and canvas yeah let's make it clear that people can't can't not show up for elections because it feels like oh that's going back to the system that we feel doesn't work because we we kind of still need to <laughs> yeah i think what i've i've liked hearing um is like a mixture of both right and the need for both the need for like kind yes. of outside agitation and protests and demonstrations as well as the need for you know getting you know some certain choice people out of office um right. because the way i've heard it explained is like we've got to play the game that we're in and while yes we want to create you know, new systems that actually, you know, treat everyone equally, right? We're currently in this one. And until that other one comes about, we need to make sure that we're not, you know, ignoring what's right in front of us. So, yes, I hope people are, you know, making sure they're registered and going out and and actually voting, um, not only just in the presidential election, but also in particular on the local level as well. Yeah. Yeah. Local level politics, it's so crazy to me. I mean, it's the same with journalism. Like, it, those, the things that feel like they're so vitally important that end up for some reason getting so much less attention when, you know, kind of now more than ever, as we've seen the last four years, we re- we, we've, we, many of us have come to rely on those very local mm-hmm. representatives to, okay, well, if, if, you know, if we're not going to get clear, messaging on what to do about a, a virus that's sweeping through the nation hmm. then what do we do in our state and what do we do in our city someone tell us like, yeah you know yeah and so and and also law enforcement like that's so huge like yes it you know there's a there's a sort of a you know trickle down effect from the top uh if you want to think of it that way but um but there's also like you know my God, if I have to hear another story about another corrupt sheriff's department, I'm going to lose my mind. Listen, the, 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 and you know, the reality, right, is that the foundation that a lot of this is built on, it is corrupt. It is anti-black and anti-trans and anti-queer and anti-all of these other communities, right? Um, because yeah. of the reason why police forces were created in the first place, right? And that was to police slaves or formerly enslaved people, right? Like that is that yep. is why these systems were, were created um and so yeah it's it's all a mess and one of the ways to rectify and at least attempt to rectify these issues is to pay attention to you know who's in your da's office who's your governor who's the mayor who is you know your local city council folks like those are the people who you can hold accountable for a lot of these things that happen on on the state and on the local level. Um, and if we're just focused on, you know, who's in the White House, then we will, you know, we'll, we'll see ourselves back in these same streets, you know, this time next year for the exact yep. same reasons. Yep. 
Now I'm gonna I'm gonna change topics only slightly because uh, I think probably we'll still end up talking about this kind of stuff throughout our chat. But I'm always excited to see a 404 area code. Oh yeah, when someone gives me a jingle, <laughs> uh, tell me tell me about your connection with Georgia. Are you were you born and raised? Did you just live there the last place you lived, and that's the last cell phone number you you have? <laughs> so I T- have a four I have a 404 number because I went to college an undergrad uh, specifically in Atlanta. I went to Morehouse College, which for those who don't know is a historically black um, men's college um, in Atlanta. Um, We have great, you know, uh, uh, graduates such as Martin Luther King Jr., Spike Lee, Samuel Jackson, and yours truly. Um, And so (laughs) that is why I have a 404 number. I love Atlanta. I don't go back enough, but um, it's it's definitely like a, a second home, if you will. Absolutely. Where were you? Uh, where were you born and raised before I, you went over to Morehouse? I am originally from Charleston, South Carolina, but I am a military brat, so I've lived and been raised all over the place. And so, immediately before Morehouse, I was in Columbia, South Carolina. Okay. Throw out some other. Uh, oh my God, we moved around so much here. Some of the places I lived, cities for me. Sure, Columbus, Georgia. Uh, uh, Kissingen, Kissingen, Germany. Um, oh wow. Oh, I should know these places. Uh, oh, Fort Bragg, <laughs> Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Um, Fort Benning, which is in Columbus, Georgia. I think, if I remember correctly. Um, oh, we were in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, a lot of places. Like we, we kind of stayed in that like southern region so that we were like yeah. not too far away from all of the family that was in um South Carolina um but then my mom did a couple uh she was in the army for 23 years total she retired a few years ago finally um uh, but she did a couple Bless. stints in Afghanistan and in South Korea by herself during which time we were with our grandmother uh in in Charleston Oh wow Yeah that so that I didn't know if you had as much of a choice and I say this from my parents were not my parents were both uh, school teachers but my my mom was very much um a military brat and uh and actually lived in the south um for most of her life moving around mm-hmm. kind of just like you actually like sort of making the same cycles cuz she went between um North Carolina and Georgia and then eventually ended up in Phoenix, Arizona. And that was sort of like the last landing place mm. of my, my grandfather where he, you know, he ended up retiring from, uh, from the Marines there. But, um, but I didn't know, I guess I still, even after all this time and so many army brats I've known, military brats I've known, I didn't know how much of a say you could have. Like if you could say, you know, hey, transfer me all you want, but, you know, could you please keep me within this same kind of pocket? You know, I think it was that she, I do think that she was presented, if I understand and remember correctly, she was presented op- options, right, and opportunities and choices yeah. every time that she um, was interested in, in moving herself or they were interested in moving her to a different location. And so she was always able to kind of have a, a little bit of a say-so um, for that reason. And I think, like I said, she, she just wanted to stay ra- as close as possible to, you know, cultures and areas that we were generally familiar with um, so that, you know, just in case anything happened with her mom, Right. My grandmother, yeah. um, we wouldn't be too far away. And so thankfully, we were able to stay, you know, within a few hours generally of a drive um, from from Charleston. 
That's great. And I think it's probably fair to say that um, for the most part, this may not be true for you because you were sort of in the system more, but um, the majority of people I've had on the podcast who were military brats, uh, you know, it was their dad who was getting transferred Mm -hmm. all over the place. It's less less often that uh, I hear, in fact, you are... I mean, in eight years of doing the podcast, I think you might be the first person who was moving around with their mom being in the military. Um, was that unusual from your perspective as well? Or was it, is it like super normal and like same old, same old for, for you on the inside of that? Um, I think that, I, yeah, now that I think about it, I mean, there were other, like my mom had a lot of other um, women friends who were also in the military, some of which had, had children or husbands, some of which that didn't. Um, but now that I think about it, um, I guess, yes, I, I'm more used to seeing um, men in particular um, as as the, the ones in the family that are, you know, the cause of the moves. Um, but for us, it was, you know, my mom was there. My, my dad wasn't really, you know, present in the picture. And so mm-hmm. it was as normal as, as anything could be for us. Sure, sure. And when you say us, you, you, you mentioned that too before when your mom was was away for longer and you were with uh, your grandma. Mm-hmm. What, uh, who's us? Do you have uh, how many brothers, oh, sisters? Yes. So I have, uh, now I have, it's a total of four siblings, um, uh, including my, myself, my older brother, Aaron. I have an older sister, Michelle, and then a younger sister. Uh, what is her name? Layla. Um, she's going <laughs> to hate me. If, if and when she listens to this, but oh well, she'll be fine. Well, I have a surprise for you. Layla, could you come in here? I know it's weird that she came to my house during a pandemic, but I still like to do a nice, fun family surprise. <laughs> she's going to hate me, but she'll be fine. Um, she's the she's the youngest, so like she can she can handle it. Um, she can handle it. Uh, so yeah, it was it was. But growing up, I was you know I, there's ten years between um, my little sister and myself, so I was the youngest for ten years. Um, yeah. And then you know my little sister creeped up on us and was like, "Hey, I'm here," um, <laughs> and I immediately became a middle child. Um, and so yeah, so it's primarily um, us. Uh, well, I should say my older sister is is adopted um she was it's always weird telling this story she was adopted by a cousin um who's so who's in so she's still in the family but we didn't like grow up together if that makes sense um and so in the house it was just myself my brother um and my mom um and then when we were when we would stay with my grandmother it would be just me and my brother until my little sister came along gotcha gotcha um and how how often would you be in places like did you get to have kind of a high school experience where you were sort of landed in the same place for long enough or was that was your was your were your high school years still kind of a time of bopping around everywhere well high school one of the things that my mother was able to like work out I guess with her with whoever was her boss or whatever was that when we moved my at the beginning of my sophomore year that's when we went back to we went from Montgomery Alabama to Columbia South Carolina um that's where we stayed um and we were able to I was so I was able to carry out my sophomore year through my senior year in high school in Columbia South Carolina at Richland Northeast high school um and um that was was wonderful 
um, because normally we would leave, we would move around about every two to three years or so. Um, And so being able to stay in a place and finish out high school uh, was very important for my mom because she wanted me to, you know, do the best that I could in terms of being eligible for, you know, the best colleges possible. And she knew that moving around could like impact my education in a major way. And so she definitely advocated as much as she could on her end so that we we didn't move. Um, um, she I think she ended up moving a couple years um, after I graduated high school. Um, but yeah, we were we were there for probably the longest um, of any kind of uh, stint that she had while in the military. That's great. Um, two things I want to say before I forget. Number one, I want to, if anyone has any questions about how, and I say this in jest, but also like it's a little serious and scary, true, um, that when you said my mom's boss or whatever, I genuinely imagine Uncle Sam. (laughs) (laughs) And that's super fucked up. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. Sure, Uncle Sam. She talked to Uncle Sam. (laughs) Like, oh no, America. Oh no, America. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Hey, I'm Jared Hill, co-host of the brand new Maximum Fun podcast, Fan Time. And I'm Travel Anderson. I'm the other more fabulous co-host. And the reason you really should be tuning in. I feel the nausea rising. To be Fan is to be a big fan of something, but also have some challenging or anti-feelings toward it. Kind of like Kanye. We're all fans of Kanye. He's a musical genius, but like, you know. He thinks slavery is a choice. Or like the Real Housewives of Atlanta. Like, I love the drama, but do I want to see black women fighting each other on screen? Ew, to We're tackling all of those complex and complicated conversations about the people, places, and things that we love. Even though they may not love us back. Fanti, Maximum Fun, podcast. Did you know by sophomore, like when you settled into richland yeah richland high mm-hmm. uh when you settled in um yourself the beginning of your sophomore year did you already know at that point that your mom had secured that for you were you like able to kind of enter into the school like okay for better or for worse like this is where i'm gonna be or was that something that that like developed in and you came to know that you were going to get to stay there all the way through graduation like after you had already started there yeah no we we knew we knew before we even moved that you know this would be her duty station for at least three years and that would allow me to to stay there because we had been having conversations you know just about every time we moved where i was like oh i gotta make new friends again um, I gotta, yeah. you know, I gotta meet new teachers again. Um, and so she was, she was very much aware that, you know, I didn't particularly care for it, as I don't think many, uh, military kids like moving around that much. Um, and yeah. so she did what she could to, to, so that we knew going into it that I could like be comfortable, you know, planting, um, some seeds there. Yeah. And how how did you feel about that? Were you nervous? Was there a sense of like, oh, boy, this is it? 
I hope I like this place. I hope I like the school. Or were you familiar with it a little bit before you went in? I wasn't really familiar with Columbia or the school at all, um, if I'm being honest. Um, I don't know if I would say I was nervous, but um, or I should say I wasn't nervous beyond, like, the typical nerves that any kid has on, like, their first day of school at a new school. Right. Um, I had all of all of those nerves. But as a kid, I became, you know, someone who could, like, easily adapt to my surroundings very quickly. That's one of the things that I, you know, love and cherish about being a military brat is because it taught me that skill at an early age um, and it taught me independence at an early age and so you know it's never been difficult for me to like be dropped into a new space per se um, besides like the typical you know middle school, elementary school, high school foolishness dealing with, you know, kids who are uh, assholes. Can I cuss? I hope I can cuss. Yes, uh, <laughs> please, please. You know, normal kid assholes who just like, you know, want to, you know, make fun of you because you're the new person um, and you right. exhibit, you know, some some behavior that they think is country or different or weird or whatever the case may be. Yeah. What... uh did you when you went to the school what did you sort of have like were there a certain type of person that you kind of felt yourself gravitating towards as you um as you were going from school to school and as you came into to richland sophomore year were you sort of like did you have a sense of like uh you know in my in my seasoned experience going from school to school, I tend to, you know, if there's a music department or if there's a school paper, like, is mm. there was there any consistency to like who do I who will I maybe kind of like eyeball first to see if they, you know, there might be like a friend or two in there for me. Interestingly enough, there there really wasn't. Um, but for me, going to school, I I was focused on my education. You know, I my a bit of my backstory was that, you know, the reason why my mom enlisted into the military is because she felt as if, you know, there weren't enough opportunities for her and therefore for us, you know, uh, at the time it was just my brother, um, but there wasn't enough opportunities for her kids and she wanted to get into the military so she could provide us, you know, the opportunities to see the world and to be afforded, you know, some of these things that we wouldn't get in our home community in Charleston. And so for me, education I've always seen that as like my way out, my way to kind of the the next step in this like family lineage um because I I'm not going into anybody's military ever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so my way of pushing the the family narrative forward was was through education and exploring what that could do for us. And so when I got to to Richland Northeast uh in high school, I was about, you know, I'm going to I want to tr- see if I can get into the magnet program. I want to see if I can be in AP classes. Like, I wasn't really worried about the people around me, um, if I'm being honest. But then... Yeah. Because of the types of classes that I was interested in taking, because of the in, of the the types of of extracurriculars that I started to become involved in, that's how I kind of found my friend group, and that's how I found um, that's how eventually how I found you know journalism or how journalism found me was was me being focused on um, the education of it all and the opportunities that I would be able to provide myself and my family by being you know as as astute as possible. 
Yeah. I think, don't you think that speaks so well of, of you and your mom? Just because, you know, it's not the, it's not the most abnormal thing in the world for some of us to rebel against whatever our parents feel passionate about, you know, and, and sometimes it has to do with, you know, the way people parent, or it just has to do with circumstances. Sometimes it feels like it's just totally random, but, you know, sometimes we lean away from the thing that our parents or a parent is kind of, you know, sort of the mess, whatever the message that's powerful and important for them. Yeah. Um, it feels like, you know, often as not like there's a, there's a, this period of time where someone might just be like, you know what? I, I somehow, I don't want to do any of that now. And it might be just because you care about it so much, you know, like I love that, you know, that's, and, and you know, that uh, a common time for that to happen is, is your, is teenage years. And so the fact that, you know, your relationship with your mom was what, it was and her communication to you in her parenting was like that you were like yeah she's right like this is really important for me yeah I mean I think you know part of it was you know I saw how hard she had to work as a black women woman in the military in order to like get her due right like I saw all of the sacrifice that she had to do and that sacrifice that she had to make just for us to have the the quality of life that we that we did have um and so I was like okay well, you know, that's a, a lot of labor and I'm thankful for the labor and sacrifice that she's putting in. But like she's doing this so that I don't have to do it. And yeah. so what can I, you know, access um, that perhaps she wasn't able to access when she was my age um, that will will show that we we have, you know, taking a new taking a new step in this this family legacy. And, you know, education, you know, was that for me? Yeah. What? How old were you when you were in Germany? Ooh. So I should say I have a horrible memory. And so (laughs) you're doing great. So I literally remember very, very little about my childhood. I do remember being in Germany. Um, I think I'd say maybe I was like 12 years old or something like that. Um, And I remember there was a teacher, this old white lady. I think she was Jewish. Her name was Mrs. Eisenminger. And she took me under her wing. I forget what she taught, but she took me under her wing and she would take me to, you know, um, different events, whether it's like a art gallery showing or the movies or something like that. Um, She was very, very, very supportive, Mrs. Eisenminger. Mrs. Eisenminger, I don't have here. I'm so sorry. I only have your younger sister whose name you forgot. But um, were there, do you, do you, was there, I mean, listen, you're uh, incredibly charming and adorable and smart and wonderful. Oh, thank was you. there, was that, was it all that? Or did you feel like there was a sense from her that you were like, were you, were there many black kids who were in oh, your no, class? Oh, no, there weren't like, a lot of black yeah. kids. I was, I was one of maybe a handful um, that were were there, and and I think part of it was my personality. You know, I, I've always been kind of an effervescent type of person, just like yeah. oozing, you know, wondrousness <laughs> everywhere I go. Um, and I, I think, love it. I think, I mean, I think she she picked up on that, um, and I think she picked up on me being interested in, you know, perhaps things that kids my age shouldn't be interested in. You know, like I, yeah. I again education and like applying myself was was something that you know I had strived to do from very early on um and so I think she saw that and she wanted to like feed into those interests did you ever did you keep in touch with her at all I wouldn't expect you of to, course not, not 
I was, uh, that's not an age where you're like, I'll write you every week. Of course not. Um, I wish I had. I bet she I bet she really cherished you. Like I really I bet she's, you know, one of those teachers who has her handful of favorites and like I I I bet you if she's out there, I bet you she would immediately be like, Oh, I hope yeah, my little, so. My little special one. I mean, I doubt that she's still out there. No offense, because you know, you did say she was an old white lady. She was, and when I say old, I mean old. Um, <laughs> she, she, she was up there already. Like, had to be mid seventies at at a minimum. And so, oh, she wow. could, okay. she could still be with us. Don't get me wrong. You know, some people live to like a hundred plus, but um, um, but she definitely, you know, was someone that like, you know, one of those teachers that you always remember who take an interest in you and like uh, uh, affirm you in a lot of ways. I don't know why this has become so important to me, but I'm going to push back for one second and say, when we're younger, don't we feel like people are older than they are? Okay. (laughs) Yes. Maybe you thought she was in her (laughs) mid seventies, but maybe translation, she was in her mid fifties. You know, she could have been really old. She could have been. And you know, the reason why I'm going to go there with you is because you know and I hope no one's offended by what I'm about to say but you know white people age um physically a lot quicker than black people ain't that the truth you know and so she could you're very right she could have been 32 for all I know (laughs) Uh, (laughs) her cute little wrinkly raisin face could have been you never know life is hard Uh, on some people okay that's right that's right that's right. Uh, well, listen, if I spoke German, I would be all over the internet right now. But instead, I'm like, that sounds hard. It <laughs> sounds like it'd be hard to find her. But if anyone listening wants to take that on, I welcome you to do so yes. because I love this story about this possibly ancient, possibly not that ancient <laughs> teacher who took you under her wing. Um, okay, so ha- tell me about the journalism side of stuff. How, how did that come into play as young as high school? Yeah. So, yeah, no, it definitely did. So I start when I got to high school, um, got to Richmond Northeast High School. I um, there was somebody in my class uh, in my civics class. I mean, they don't teach that much anymore, um, but I had a civics class and there was another uh, young black woman um, in the class. Her name was Kelsey Stagall, and she was a member of the school's modern United Nation team. Um, Mm -hmm. And she was like, you seem interested in this government stuff you should try out, you know, for the Model United Nations team. I think you would be really good at it. Now, at the same time, as I told you, I was trying to get into the magnet program at the school, but they wouldn't yeah. let me into the magnet program because you had to start the program as a freshman. Um, and so, Ugh. exactly. So I wasn't able to get into the program, and the person who was in charge of that program was also the advisor for the Model United Nations program. And now our Model United Nations team at Richland Northeast High School is legendary. That t- at oh. that time, our school had won, like, the top award at the national competition for, like, 11 years straight or something like oh. that. And so Whoa. it was a big deal to be on this team because you had to bring it. And yeah. <laughs> long story short, I brought it. 
Um, <laughs> and so I joined the team. Um, and that's when I just kind of started developing like a greater love for writing of all sorts. At that time, it was a lot more like essays about policy and all that extra stuff. Um, sure. But after that, the the director of the Convergence Media Program, who was also the director of the Maya Nations Program, she was like, you're a really good writer. You should explore the newspaper, which was under a different professor, Miss um, Brooks. Um, and, you know, I started just writing small things here and there for her. And the next year, my junior year, for whatever reason, she and her editor-in-chief decided to put me in charge of the opinion page. Um, and so immediately like that, I was, like, thrown into this newspaper world and able to write pretty much whatever I wanted, um, which I say set me up for failure in journalism because then you <laughs> then you go to grad school and all this other stuff, and they're like, actually, you have to do this assignment that I give you. You can't just, like, write what you want. <laughs> um, right. But that's how my kind of introduction to journalism was, was through op-ed writing in high school. And then when I went to Morehouse... Um, while I changed my major 12 million different times, um, I initially wanted to be a lawyer like Elle Woods in Legally Blonde. Um, <laughs> but then I took uh, I took a national government class that we that that law majors had to take at Morehouse. And I was like, mm, this isn't it for me. Sorry about it. Um, and changed my major 12 million times. But the one thing that was like the most consistent throughout my entire four years at Morehouse was that I was on the school newspaper um, called the Maroon Tiger. And so by senior year, I was managing editor of the paper. And I was like, okay, this is the most consistent thing in your life right now. Why don't you try this journalism thing on for size and went to grad school and I never looked back. Not yet, at least. I uh, I do feel strongly that, again, I, I love the potpourri of places that you live. Now I'm very curious for some other examples of things that you changed your major to briefly. Oh, yes. So I started, like I said, uh, pre-law. Law. Um, yeah. And then took that class and was like, mm, this isn't it. But then I was like, maybe I'll try political science, right? Because like lawyers, a lot of lawyers, they study political science. Sure. Started with political science, was like, mm, not working. Did international relations because I remembered being in Model United Nations. I was like, I enjoyed that. Let's try that. That didn't yeah. work out either. Um, I, I think I tried philosophy for two weeks. That didn't work <laughs> out. Uh, maybe I think I did religion. I was just going through the social sciences, just like trying everything on for size. And then I took um, I took a uh, intro to sociology class taught by um, Dr. Ida Mukenge at Morehouse. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Uh, um, and then I, you know, checked out the course catalog and I was like, oh, they have a class called uh, se Human Sexuality and they have a class called Men in Society and another one about Women in Society and another one about Media. And so sociology is where I ended up landing um, and because it just was like it was the most interesting thing that I could find studying about how, you know, how and why people do what they do. You know, I, as you said that, I had never thought about this, but every class I took that was a sociology, uh, that was like part of that department, even though for me, you know, it would have been part of my requirements or part of my electives were all awesome. Yes. Like now that I think about it, I'm like, God, if I'd put two and two together, I easily could have switched over into a sociology major. Um, and it's that's just what, not like, a, yeah, I just didn't put it together. And that's what ended up happening ultimately was I had taken all of these social science, sociology courses that, you know, went up to the uh, sociology major. And I met with a, a uh, what do they call them? Like 
college counselor, course advisor or whatever. Yeah. Um, And we were just like, okay, it's junior year. You need to choose one because you won't graduate on time. And I was like, okay, girl, I got to graduate on time now because <laughs> y'all already getting plenty of my money. Um, And we just, you know, looked at the classes I had taken and sociology was the one that was like, okay, you only got to take a few more classes to get that major. Might as well do that. Um, Luckily, you know, I loved it and really was enjoying it. And so it worked out. It's, you know, you might have benefited from, and I probably would have too, because I definitely was like, I had, a, I had theater credits in place that it was just like, if I, if I switch now, like I'm going to be in, like, I, it will take me forever, you know, cause right. I just, I already had them by the time I moved to San Francisco and was like, I don't think I want to do this. <laughs> um, but if I had gone to one of those schools that lets you build your own major, yes. I feel like you and I both could totally could have been like here's my th- slick glossy three-page explanation <laughs> of like how all of these classes I've by the way already taken yes, <laughs> fit together yes. into some sort of wonderful new major that I've created uh because you know you you want to be like what you're talking about is not it does not you know you were showing up for this stuff it wasn't that you were like switching around and just not like and by the and you know just failing classes and not going and like that's a different relationship to the indecision of college that you know some people are faced with but when you are genuinely interested in stuff and you're really trying to find your path it does feel like that should be rewarded in a sense rather than, you know, I'm sorry, but it's going to now take you seven years to graduate just because you are like finding your way and finding out what you're passionate about. You know, you want to be able to applaud that and say, good for you that you're still trying to figure it out and that you're sort of starting to piece stuff together now as you explore all these different things. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, one of the, you know, one of the things that we love is like these liberal arts colleges, right. That require you to take all of these gen ed things, that are supposed to be like an introduction to you know these Mm -hmm. different fields but I found through my experience at Morehouse that like I was taking the introductory courses but like they weren't giving me enough of a look into what the major Uh, was and so I was taking you know secondary and and third classes within these majors and then finding out that oh this is not it right and so that's what took me so long in particular but you're right I, I also almost for grad school I almost went to City University of New York because they had a master's program where you could basically like create something that was like completely interdisciplinary and completely unique to you as an individual. Um, I ended up not going there, but uh, that was very attractive to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So what when you were in the Model UN back Mm -hmm. um, in high school, were you did you do that all three years? Yes. And did you? Yeah, I started in sophomore year and did it throughout all three years. Eventually, by high, uh, by uh, senior year, I was co-president with the the young black woman Kelsey, who got me involved in the first place. Um, and we were the first uh, black co like co-presidents together of the organization. Um, and like I I really loved it. It was one of those. It was the gave me the first opportunity to go to New York um, sophomore year because um, that's where the the national competition happens every year um and it introduced me to you know a whole host of of um friends at the time and now you know just peers and colleagues um who were also similarly interested in it 
What were you, was, do you, I know, by the way, the model UN is one of those things that like, as far as, far as I know, there, I'm, I mean, there probably was one at the high school that I went to. <laughs> I was singularly uninterested in anything I didn't already know about in a really obnoxious way that, I mean, I was not a cocky kid. I just mean obnoxious, like, like, oh no, you could have, like, you were a smart kid. You could have explored other stuff instead of just being like i'll see you at rehearsal um for the play and nothing else except modern dance that's okay uh, you know but yeah i mean it's just funny because i mean i make this joke on the podcast all the time but i really do look through i'll flip through my yearbook and be like oh there was a chess club I had no idea <laughs> like just no sense outside of a certain set of parameters but um but i but i think i would have loved model un and i and i'm wondering if you, there is this sort of like <laughs> if there is sort of like a i oh th i hope i i want this country like this oh, country yes. is great to to be because and so and so what were you did you always represent the same country did you switch around so, what countries did you get to be the spokesperson for yes yeah, so we the the countries were switched around and they were you know sort of randomly assigned depending on the competition and we went to three different competitions uh, every year um, and then you wanted a country that in real life had some like legitimate socio-political standing so you wanted yeah. something like a united states or like a russia or like a china you did not want like a mozambique unfortunately or like right. a, a nigeria or like turks and caicos or some some something like that cote yeah, d'ivoire yeah. you did not want cote d'ivoire um <laughs> although i got cote d'ivoire once um <laughs> and my specialty um so for those who don't know my united nations it it literally models the united United Nations and there's all these different um, kind of uh, groups within the organization that we all compete in. And my specialty was called SPECPOL, the Special Political uh oh, Special Political and Decolonization Committee, I think is how that works. Okay. Um, something like that. Um, but like all of the things that we talked about were um, about these kind of sociopolitical issues in particular. So whether it was like, you know, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict or, you know, I don't know, blood diamonds in some, you know, uh, southern African country or something like that. And like you wanted you wanted a country that like had some actual weight to it. But if you got mm -hmm. a country like Cote d'Ivoire, as I got before, the goal was to just stand out to become you know integral to the conversation and the debate even though in real life your country probably you know was nothing um and so that was a lot of fun <laughs> for me because it meant that like you were able to like give these speeches that were like fun and interesting or you know i i was from south carolina and i am you know at my heart and at my core a country bumpkin and so i was able to inject some of my southern twang and my southern flair into you know the kind of procedures that we would have and like you know people would people would flock to that and you know i am not bragging but i'm just saying i was very successful at model un i can't lie I cannot tell you how easy it is for me to imagine that believe it and embrace it. So rest assured, I don't feel you're conning me in any way or over bragging. Um, so what was what was your love life like, if any, uh, because you were so focused on education, uh, that, that sort of side of it? What was but, you know, I have these like um, 
uh, latent high school fantasies of things like Model UN being like, oh my God, all of these new people from all of these different places and like we're traveling <laughs> and there's some sort of like juicy jet set high school student feeling about that. Like, ooh, this one's all, you know, this one's coming to me from Philly. What's this person all about? <laughs> uh, was there any, was there any level of that or was, there it, was. was that not, yeah. Not, not talk, for talk me personally, not for me, me personally, um, but there were other kids who, you know, they were away from parents. They were away from, you know, their real close friend group. And like, you know, if they could get it in or make out with somebody, <laughs> you know, they were interested in doing that. You know, I at the time had a girlfriend. I was quote unquote straight at the time. Um, yeah. I, I had a girlfriend who she also was similarly, you know, super astute, super smart, involved in too many organizations, just like myself. Um, she was president of the Tree Huggers Club. She was on student government. Um, and, you know, so I was I was balancing, you know, finding and discovering and and knowing deep 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 down inside that i was queer um but you know playing games with people um as as a means of survival and navigating you know those trepid high school streets um and so that's what that's what my life was like uh love life was like uh back then so when you say uh deep 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 down um did you did that express itself in sort of like interests in people that you couldn't explain to Mm. yourself but that you would sort of not like dwell too deeply on why you were drawn to someone um or 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 explain it to yourself as a means of like well I'm just I love who this person is or you know I admire this person like I want to be like this person well for me I've known that I was you know some sort of queer didn't obviously have the language for it um, but I've known since I was four years old. Um, and there is a particular situation that took place at four years old that I'm saving for my memoirs. So I can't share it with you right now. However, I will say that that was a moment that I was like, oh, you you are different than the other boys that are in this family and that are around you. Um, mm-hmm. And even more so than that, as I grew up, as I moved through a variety of different spaces, I don't know if I said this, my grandmother was a pastor um, and she founded her own church and the entire extended family is full of ministers and oh, wow. ushers and all of that other stuff. And so I was moving through my life just being my at the time, what I see now as my fabulous queer self, and all of that was being policed by different people within my family, whether it was my grandmother, whether it was my uncle and aunts or my cousins or whatever the case may be. And so by the time I got to high school, I was very clear on the idea that, you know, I wasn't supposed to be exhibiting queer behavior. I was supposed to be interested in women. Um, and so I tried it. And, you know, I always say this now, you know, me and the my girlfriend from high school, we're close friends now. She's a, a great public defender in the Denver area right now. Um, but, you know, at the time, I did love her and I was and, and you know, was attracted to her. Um, and so it wasn't like a matter of just like, you know, hiding for the sake of hiding. But as I got into college, as I got, you know, into my own space, I was able to tap back into that behavior um, that I was uh, and those interests that I was like, you know, suppressing and trying to hide away for so long. And how much of that got expressed and brought back home when you were comfortably um, 
acknowledging it publicly, oh. you know, and celebrating it uh, <laughs> out, not at home. Yeah. Well, so I was, I, I guess I kind of, I was kicked out of the closet is what I tell people. Um, junior year at Morehouse. Um, my mom actually, uh, my mom and my grandmother who had moved in with her along with my little sister, they were stationed at Fort Benning in Columbus, Georgia, which is like an hour, two hours away from Atlanta. So I would often, you know, pop down to their house on the weekends to see them or whatever. They were leaving, they were moving to a new duty station in Kansas City and they were driving through Atlanta. Atlanta, but my mother had a house in Columbus that she had not yet sold. And so she wanted to drop off the keys to me so that I, you know, every other weekend would go down to the house and just make sure everything was like still there um, Mm -hmm. until she was able to sell it. In that meeting, a very quick meeting on the side of like at a gas station in Atlanta, because again, they were driving to Kansas City. We stopped. My mother gets out the car, hands me the keys. My grandmother gets out the car, gives me a hug. And she gives me like a one up and down. Like she looks at what I'm wearing. Um, (laughs) And then, but I don't think about it. And then a few weeks later, I get a letter from her in the mail at college. And in the letter, she's like, I saw what you were wearing that day. Are you gay? If you're gay, you're going to hell and you're a bad role model for your little sister. And I used to put you up on a pedestal and now that pedestal has a crack in it. Now, mind you, I wasn't wearing anything, you know, (laughs) particularly, you know, fabulous. I was wearing and I remember the outfit to this day. I was wearing a yellow T-shirt, like a pale yellow T-shirt, a pair of black uh, shorts, regular shorts, not like booty shorts, like right, regular right. shorts to the knee and a pair yeah. of red toms, okay? Yeah. And okay. for whatever reason, that's that was a signal for her and she was like, oh my God. And so, you know, in anger, I wrote her back and I was like, yes, I am gay. I was gay at the time. Um, I identify as queer now, but yes, I am yeah. gay and um, this is who I am and you just have to accept it and if I'm going to hell, I'll see you there because you lie to people and you do all this other stuff that the Bible says you're not supposed to do and all of this other stuff. Long story short. Oh, and I told her in the letter, uh, this was like coming up on um, Thanksgiving. And I told her in the letter, I was like, and you know, Thanksgiving's coming up. I'm just going to stay in Atlanta because I know you're going to show this letter to my mother. And I don't know, you know, she's probably going to feel similarly to you. And so like this just is what it is. And if I have to stay here through Christmas as well, I'll do that too. So... Send the letter off, and we go like a month or so without talking. I end up staying in Atlanta for Thanksgiving, and on December 1st of that year, um, when, you know, school is winding down, I'm about to walk into a resident advisor event. I was an RA, um, and I get a call from my mother, um, and my mother says, I've read the letter. You need to be home for Christmas, and you need to apologize to your grandmother. Me and my mother get in an argument because I'm like, I don't have no problem coming home for Christmas and getting some good food. You ain't got to tell me that twice. Uh, However, (laughs) I'm not apologizing because, you know, I said what I said and I meant it. Um, And even though I made her cry or whatever, it is what it is. Long story short, uh, or longer story shorter, um, I went home that Christmas and, you know, we acted like 
nothing happened um but mm-hmm. you know that that's my that's my coming out story and and since that moment you know as my my journey with my sexuality and my gender and my gender presentation have evolved into the fabulous queer gender nonconforming being that speaks to you now um mm-hmm. i've been completely you know just living living my life and you know however they feel is how they feel um it is my understanding that, well, my grandmother is no longer with us. She died a few years ago. Um, but my mother, you know, has been very supportive. She's showed up to events, you know, flown all the way out here to L.A. from South Carolina for events that I've been, you know, honored at and different things like that. And so I, I think we've, you know, come across, you know, that particular hurdle in our relationship. Yeah, that's great. I think there's there's a that's one of my. I don't want to, well, for in my personal experience, um, I were, was kind of similar in that, like, there was to have a sort of initial blow up conversation about something that, you know, you're one or both of your parents, in my case, just, you know, my mom mm-hmm. um, and my grandmother, you know, not approving of or not being happy about. Uh, and then rather than having some kind of like, like deep, you know, therapeutic makeup session, uh, after which, you know, we moved forward, it was definitely kind of similar where it was like, just didn't talk for a while. <laughs> and then at some point, like somebody just went, okay, well, right. But like, it was never, <laughs> it was never, no one ever apologized. No one ever said like, I just want you to know, I accept you for, you know, it was just like, yeah, all right. I guess we're we're spending time with each other. We clearly love each other. Like that's the conversation. That's as far as the conversation. Yeah, and I get you know. And I've been you know in front of my mother with makeup on, and I've been in front of my mother with you know uh, quote unquote women's clothing on and wearing heels and all of this. And you know, I remember when she came out here to L.A. for I was receiving uh, an award from this organization called Better Brothers L.A., which is like a Black LGBTQ organization out here. Um, and you know, she helped me zip up the jumpsuit that I was putting on um, because I had gotten a, li- a little too heavy and couldn't zip it up myself. <laughs> and so her and my little sister, you know, I had to lay down on the bed so they could zip me up into it. Oh, that's a um, great image. You know, and so it's like we, we've we come a long way and I, I also have to give a, a little bit of credit, I think, to uh, for that, that progress to my little sister um, who is also uh, queer. Um, and so, you know, but she came out while living with my mother, right? Yeah. Um, which is a, a very different experience than than my whole um, coming out or being forced out. Um, and so my mother had to, you know, uh, come to support her daughter who is, you know, at the time was, you know, not able to like fend for herself as a quote unquote adult and it's like I think when when things happen like that um at least in in our family it was just like okay if you still feel this way it's time to get over it because you've got this young lady in the house who you need to Mm. take care of um and so I think it, it definitely helped both of our relationships with our mom um once you know my little sister came out to her yeah and your little sister's name is? No, just <laughs> um. <laughs> Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Hey, you've reached Dr. Game Show. Leave your message after the beep. Hi, this is Sarah, and I'd like to tell you about Dr. Game Show. Dr. Game Show is a band of geniuses or nerds or brilliant artists or kids or some combination of all of those who get together to make a show like no other that's family friendly. 
It's an interactive call-in game show podcast. When I found Dr. Game Show, I found joy. I told my friends and family that if they weren't listening, they were wasting joy. I sent them the episodes that made me laugh until I cried, played it for them in the car. They laughed too, laughed their butts off, but they still don't listen on their own, so they're wasting joy. And I keep looking for someone to understand me. Maybe it's you. Give Dr. Game Show a listen and find joy. Listen to Dr. Game Show on Maximum Fun. New episodes every other Wednesday. I cannot believe it's already been almost an hour. I want to get into this MASH game with you. Um, Have you played MASH in the past? Mansion, apartment, shack, house? I, yes, this this sounds, I haven't played this in forever. That's the idea, my dear. (laughs) That is the idea. Uh, Okay, so, uh, you know, you're just going to give me answers off the top of your head. Um, The, the, the hardest thing may or may not be like an hour from now when you're like, oh, why didn't I say blah, blah, blah? <laughs> <laughs> so this is just very much an in the moment desire. Gotcha. Uh, it doesn't have to represent like the the way you feel forever of all of your favorites until the, the, the end, the bitter end. So <laughs> this is just now. So first category I'm going to do for you is let's do three let's do three styles from any era any any background any ethnic background any point in history can be totally current but any style that like if you look at you know you see pictures of or you're watching a movie um that you're like "Mm, I would like to rock that like you know let's Mm. pretend everything is the same level of comfort Mm -hmm. and and so uh so that's not even that doesn't even have to be like a consideration it's just about what would be fabulous to play around in three different styles specific styles of like clothing right Mm-hmm, okay yeah. so or like hair makeup like the whole the whole so you know, i would the say the first thing that comes to mind is 70s i would love to have some bell bottoms and and an afro i mean i kind of have an afro now but whatever um so 70s i'm gonna go also with like um flapper the flapper era like was that 1950s i guess mm, uh, flappers like 20s, 30s 20s 30s, 20s, 30s yeah the, i'm thinking of like the the yes yeah, so, yes yeah, let's go with 1920s 30s which ooh, wasn't a good time for black people but um i know there's a lot there's a lot that gets like thrown out the window culturally when right. you start isolating things in the mash game <laughs> it's like what would you like to go see and you wouldn't be shocked right like, it's like oh god oh oh god help us so I would say 70s, I would say kind of the flapper era, and then I would go with uh, 90s. Great. What about the 90s? What about the 90s? I'm just thinking of, you know, the, the what do you call it? The, the airbrush t-shirts. Oh, sure. You know, the 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 Kuji and Kangol uh, uh, visors and caps, uh, oh, velour yes, yes. Sweatsu- sweatsuits, you know, right. all of that. I love it. I love it. Okay. Beautiful. Uh, next category, three places in the world uh, that you would like to have a vacation home. And we're going to assume you can just teleport there mm-hmm. and, and like that money is no option, no object, all that. Okay. I'm going to say, um, um, oh, wow. I'm going to say Cameroon. Um, because I did my ancestry and I am, you know, a lot of percentage Cameroonian. Oh, cool. Um, and so it would be good to, you know, 
be with the people. Um, sure. So I'm going to say Cameroon. I'm going to say Paris. Um, and I am going to say, ooh, um, let's go with let's go with like a. a I'm going to go with Jamaica, despite the anti-LGBTQ environment. <laughs> Great. We're, we've erased we've that erased in this it, yes. alternate universe that we're building for you. So don't even worry. Uh, okay. Next one. Three movies that you can jump into whenever you want. Just be in that world. Mm-hmm. Be with those characters. You're not reliving the plot. It's just like you get to go into that world and enjoy it for oh, however long. This is easy. You know, I'm a film reporter. So uh, I'm going to go with BAPS, uh, which stars Halle Berry and... Um, Oh, I just forgot. Natalie DeSalle. Um, yep. I'm going to go with Sister Act 2, starring Whoopi Goldberg and Lauren Hill. Amazing. Um, and then I'm going to go... Ooh, I'm torn. Oh, my God. And then I'm going to go with Legally Blonde with, uh, you know... Uh, oh, there we go. Reese we Witherspoon. Yes. Thank you for reminding me because now I'm going to throw out three alternate universe careers... Um, that are happening in this kind of alternate universe for you. Alternate universe careers. Okay, we're going to go with president. Great. Um, we are going to go with lawyer. Great. And we are going to go with chef, which was one of my alternate career options. Oh, wonderful. But then my, mo- like? my mother was like, my mother was like, uh, <laughs> she was like, oh, I'm not paying for you to go to culinary school because that's a hobby. Um, and I was like, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a, a specific stuff that you love cooking? Oh, I cook. I'm 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 southern through and through, like mac yeah. and cheese, baked mac and cheese to Oof. be specific. Um, yes, there's this southern South Carolina dish called okra soup, which is like it's a tomato based soup with okra, and you can put some neck bone or some pigtail in it if you eat meat, um, shrimp, yeah. um, corn, tomatoes. It's just like it's very gumbo esque. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah. God, I love okra. Um, great. Okay, next category. This is MASH. we got to get some romance in here. Mm-hmm. Three people. Uh, they can be fictional characters from movies, books, comic books, whatever. Uh, or they could just be like these famous people from any era, any age. Three that you want to have sexy times with in our alternate universe. Okay. Um, three sexy times with. Okay. So first I'm going to go with, oh my God, this is so hard. Let's go with um, Denzel Washington, um, circa John Q. That is the time no, period right. of, of Denzel Washington we're thinking of. Right. I'm also right. going to go with... Um, um, I'm going to go with Janet Mock because I think she's gorgeous, mm-hmm. period. Um, and then I'm going to go with, uh, let's go with a, a um, mm, let's go with a Tay Diggs. Okay, great, great, great. Beautiful. Okay, next category, let's do three foods that in this alternate reality we're creating, you can have at the snap of your finger with zero negative ramifications. So, um, like, you know, if it's if it's if it's meat, but you think it's wrong to eat meat in this universe, meat is not an animal. It's just like a beautiful taste. Understood. Or if you're you know, if it like if you're like me and you don't you're not supposed to have dairy, you know, all the ice cream you want. Nothing bad happens. So I'm going to go with fried chicken. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with okra soup, as I mentioned oh, before. And I'm, I got to try some okra soup. I'll tell you that right now. I'm going to go with my 
unique concoction of ice cream at Cold Stone Creamery, which is half cake batter ice cream, half French vanilla with rainbow sprinkles, Oreos, and Reese's. Okay, wait. I'm writing all of this down. It's really important. (laughs) Vanilla, sprinkles. Yes, Reese's and Oreos. And Reese's. Okay, great. Um, wait, the pieces or the cups? The cups. Up? The cups. Mm-hmm, that's the right answer. <laughs> Even though you could be any answer you want is the right answer. That for me personally <laughs> is the right answer. Uh, okay. Next category. Let's do three uh, skills. They can be very practical skills or they can be like superhero skills, but three skills that you would like to wake up with tomorrow and they're just, you're an expert at them all of a sudden. Mm, uh, teleportation. Great. What about like a, I want to be like Inspector Gadget with like, you just like, go, go, Gadget, this. Oh, great. Um, so I don't know how to describe that. And then. I just wrote down go, go, Gadget. I feel very comfortable with it. <laughs> there we go. And then <laughs> last but not least, I guess I will say um, uh, reading minds. Okay. Reading minds. Okay. And then last one is three people from the present or from history uh, that you could have as like a, a friend slash mentor um, that you could call up. And they like, even if it's just like you guys hang out and they mm-hmm. make each other laugh, it doesn't have to be like the be all end all like conversation of conversations or it could be, but three people that you would love to have access to uh, living or dead. Oh, three people I would love to have access to. Okay, so first up, I'm going to say um, Marsha P. Johnson, legendary Stonewall Stonewall Riots activist. Um, I'm going to add with Marsha P. Johnson, I'm going to say James Baldwin. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to say Sylvester, the queen of disco. Wonderful. Okay, Uh, give me a number between one and seven. Six. Okay. While I am doing these very important calculations, mm-hmm. uh, could I entreat upon you, and I must tell you I'm not the least concerned, to tell the wonderful listeners where they can find you, what you're up to, what you recommend, how to listen, all that good stuff, and yes. I'll zip through this. I can do that. So I co-host a podcast on Maximum Fun called Fanti, um, where we have complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas in our lives. The people the places the things that you are big fans of but also have anti feelings toward you probably can tell i've been saying that a lot um (laughs) (laughs) and i co-host that with um my uh longtime friend jared hill who is a politics and pop culture uh uh journalist and myself i'm an entertainment uh journalist and film critic and all of the wonderful things um and then you can follow us on social media at fanti podcast wherever all of the socials are myself personally i'm on twitter at travel anderson that's t-r-e-v-e-l-l L anderson and on instagram at r-a-y-z-h-o and and i hope that everyone in this moment is listening to black trans femmes and black trans women who will light the way forward in terms of this movement in terms of what the future looks like and should look like um in terms of opportunity and equity and equality should I keep going? Oof. No, that was could not have been more perfectly timed. I just like put the cap back on the pen Wonderful. as you were finishing. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Okay. 
I got to tell you, I think you'd be very pleased with these results. Okay. I am certainly pleased to deliver them to you. Uh, first of all, I want to congratulate you. No, I'm going to start with this because it's just too <laughs> exciting to me. On your ability to go into bats whenever you want. <laughs> You're going to be hanging with Hallie. Oh, yes. It's going to be great. Um, that's very satisfying to me that you ended up with that movie. So you can go in there whenever you want. Uh, you can also do some wonderful traveling and by the way you still get to teleport even if it's just to the place where your vacation home is mm -hmm. but you can teleport to your vacation home in Cameroon yes. which I think is also super awesome uh, you can work your fantastic 70s look to perfection whenever you want and everyone recognizes how fabulous you are yes. you uh and you will you know what you're not even gonna have to ask them how fabulous they think you are because you're gonna be able to read their minds mm. and you're gonna be able to read their minds in the authenticity of their feelings of yes. how fabulous you are which they will be uh you can somehow also you know listen some 70s clothes not super forgiving to certain figures i want you to know regardless of what's going on you can have all the fried chicken you want <laughs> nothing nothing bad you're gonna be able to slip those bell bottoms those tight skin tight bell bottoms on and still eat all the fried chicken you want because this is our alternate universe so congratulations on that i love uh, that oh by the way you're you have a mansion in cameroon so oh, i don't know yes. what that looks like but yes. uh, but i'm excited to find out uh you also have a just a stint as Oh, I don't know. The president, uh, <laughs> which is really fabulous. You uh, you have as a friend and advisor in those times, which will probably very handy to uh, your skills as president, your uh, friend and colleague, Marsha B. Johnson. Oh, yes. Which is wonderful. And all of this is happening uh, with your romantic slash sexy times partner, Tadix. Oh, not I, I approve. Too shabby. I approve. So that's how we play mash <laughs> on the TV club. I love that. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Uh, I love everything you said. I love. I feel like I, you know, the mash results are like the little button. It's like the epilogue to the wonderful things that you said uh, in terms of what people can be paying attention to, how they're responding to what's going on, um, and that takes us kind of back full circle to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. Yes. Now, I, what I, uh, the only thing that I want to ask for you to do is uh for the end if you want to um i have <laughs> i've been asking people recently to like sing a snippet of their favorite song mm. or a song that spe speaks summer to them um mm. if you have one that pops into your mind i am the, i this is why i'm also really bad at mash i am the queen of like Hey, here's the thing I want to hear from you. And then if the, if the same thing is immediately turned back around to me, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I can't think of something that quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but then other people are like, oh, are you kidding me? My summer song? It's da-da-da-da by da-da-da. I'm like, oh, okay. So I, in, my, in my ongoing curiosity about uh, learning music through other people's loves and tastes, I was going to see if you had one. And if you don't, it's uh, not a big deal at all. I do have a song. Um, okay. I don't know if it's particularly a summer song, but it's it's the first song that came to mind, and it is <laughs> um, "This Is Me" from the Greatest Showman soundtrack. 
um, oh, wonderfully okay. performed by Kiala Settle. Um, okay. And it goes. See, this is what I'm talking about. I haven't seen The Greatest Showman. <laughs> Me so either. Now I have a reason the funny to. part is, I have never seen it either, but I heard this song. It was nominated for the Oscar, and I was like, oh, oh this is it. This oh, is it. Oh, love it. It's, okay, it's then like, I'll just listen to the song. Yeah, you're going to have to listen to the song, but not but not my version, but I will sing a little bit for you. Please. Um. Okay, Um. where am I going to start? Okay. <laughs> I'm a horrible singer. This is so funny. Okay. <laughs> I am not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say, because we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say. No one will love you as you are. But I won't let them break me down to dust. I know that there's a place for us. For we are glorious. When the sharpest words want to cut me down. <laughs> I'm going to send a flood. Going to drown them out. I am brave. I am bruised. I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. That's all That's oh. all you get. I loved it. I feel like and I messed up the melody a little, but whatever. Uh, you know what? I, I don't. I disagree. First of all, it is really hard. Like, you picked a song. Musicals are really hard to sing a cappella. Um, and so I, the fact that you apologized in advance for not singing well was a bald-faced lie because I think that you did a fabulous job. You're kind. Um, and I'm going to li- I'm going to listen to this, like, in moments after we get off the phone. It's so good. I'm excited to listen to it. Uh, thank Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thank you for having me. And listeners, I will talk to you next week. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.